0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast.
1: Alright folks, we are now in week number six of the series as we begin the year 2021. A road runs through it. And we've looked um, so far, the first week we talked about how God's road is a thorough way there's no dead ends. Isn't that great? When, when we follow God, there's no dead ends. He provides us always a way through. It's like the Israelites found that out when they were escaping Egypt and they came up against the Red Sea. God provided them a way through. In Psalm 23, it says, even in death, that's not a dead end. We will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't have to camp there as believers and stay there. He leads us through. So we're thrilled for that. And then the next two weeks, we talked about detours. And they, those are the temptations that try to uh, lead us astray off God's road. And we talked about the importance of understanding what temptations were and what they weren't and how we can, um, how we can face them in our life and how we will face them in our life. And then the next two weeks, we talked about prayer. Uh, we talked about being under construction and how before we do ministry, we need to prepare in prayer. And then last week, we talked about how even after prayer is a very important time where we stop and spend that time listening because God may have something to say to us in response to what we have said to Him. And so today, we're going to uh, begin the first part of another two part section of the series called Finishing Well. I was sharing with uh, some pastors this week how I'm almost, it's almost been 32 years since I've been pastoring, and I honestly, it feels like I'm just starting. I just feel like I'm getting the hang of it. I feel like I'm just, okay, now I think I'm ready to start doing this Uh, seriously. It's not that I haven't been serious, but it's just that I'm learning so much, and I wish I knew back 32 years ago what I know today, right? Do you ever feel that way? But I know I can't go back. Um, I know, but I do have the opportunity to look forward and so do you, because regardless of what has happened in my life, whether good or bad, all of us, we have this opportunity to make the days which lie before us the most productive and fruitful days of our life. And with God, that is so possible. And perhaps we would never arrive to this realization today if we hadn't gone through um, some failures in the past and some mistakes and some um, learning times because um, those are the difficult lessons on the road and they better equip us for where we are today so we can finish well. I want to begin sharing with you three stories um, from my road and I know this, I am better equipped today because of these three stories which happened in the past. I'm more effective, I can be more fruitful and a better leader and pastor and Christian because of them. At the time, I didn't appreciate the value that they taught me, and, uh, but, and, and, and I was never prepared for them. School never taught, told me this would happen, but I learned them. Some of you would will know these stories because they are such an important part of my life that in my ministry that I would have shared with them uh, with you before. But some of you who are new would would not know them. Uh, In fact, I share them with pastors when I sit down with them and ask for some counsel or advice on how to do ministry. I share with these learning experiences in my life, and they're worth mentioning today because these lessons help and benefit our church today. And that's the point we're going to make today. So I tell these stories, I'm telling them as lessons I had to learn. They're not meant to disparage the lives of others, but really to point to something I had to learn um, that I needed to apply in my life. So the first story was from my first church. And you, you, a lot of you will know this, but uh, the church was a small rural church and really in, in the middle of nowhere, uh, there was no village, there was no crossroads, it was just this church on the side of the road. And we were the only, us and another family down, maybe half a mile, and then there were some other ones later on, we were the only residents, but this, this church seemed to um, draw people. And it was just a handful, not many people when I arrived there, my first pastor. But God was good and we started to see growth happen. We started seeing more people and young families come to the church. And I remember the day sitting in the church foyer, looking out in the parking lot, watching these bulldozers expand the parking lot because we had run out of room. And that was so exciting to me because that meant people, it, it's not the physical part, but it meant we had to, we had to um, embrace and, and respond to more people coming to hear the word and to know God. And so I'm watching this parking lot expand, going, wow, this is good. After a while, we expanded our foyer, because again, it was too crowded. It was, it wasn't enough room. And I'm so excited uh, for what was happening. I don't know if you've ever done this or, or noticed, but when I'm visiting another church, I take note of how there's sometimes there's things. Maybe in their lobby, in their foyer, in their church, that seem awkward and out of place. And they've been there so long that the people there don't see them anymore. You ever notice that when, like, you go in and there's a ping pong table folded up where you hang the coats and go, why is that there? Somebody put it there and just kind of got part of the everyday furniture and no one moved there, or a the leaning stack of chairs that want to fall over, or some boxes or some stains. or there's, this, there's usually something you see because you're with fresh eyes that the people there don't see who are there every day. And I wondered if that was the case with, with this church I was pastoring and was growing, if, if the new people saw anything that I had not seen. And so I invited them all out to meet me on the parking lot one Saturday morning and they gathered out in the parking lot, those who were newer to the church, part of the growth, and I told them what I just told you, and I said, I want you to come in and let me know what you've seen that I haven't seen. What do you, you wa- wonder? Why is this here? Why do we have this? Because you have fresh eyes. And you're going to help us as we continue to welcome more people to our church. I kid you not, we didn't even step into the <laughs> front foyer when this lady by the name of Barb looked at me and said, why do you have this welcome mat? And I said, well, what do you mean? I looked down, and I, for the first time, noticed the welcome mat I walked over every day. Uh, It was worn to the point where there was a hole in the middle. And it was worn to the point that it was just just gray threads were exposed. And I knew it used to be green, because on the edge, there was still some color. But where people were stepping over it week by week after week, this welcome mat become worn with a hole and down to the bare threads. And I said, I never saw that. So do you know what I did? I didn't call a committee and form a committee to buy a new welcome mat. I just went out and bought another welcome mat similar to this carpeted welcome mat that we had there before. I was really caught off guard when this upset a number of people that the welcome mat was changed. And I wasn't prepared for that. And I was trying to understand why. And they said, well, somebody, I think, 17 years ago donated that mat. um, And I changed it. In fact, before I left that church, when I was visiting people saying goodbye, one of the main people said, you changed our welcome mat. And I thought there's a lesson there, which I hadn't learned yet, but I will. The second story was in the very next church I went to. Um, a church that, uh, that was going through struggle, had gone through a split, and was going in and trying to, uh, help lead us to unity and help us to grow again. And, and again, young people were coming. The church was growing. There was parts of the church that weren't healthy, becoming very healthy and very strong. We we're baptizing people one Sunday. We baptized 27 people. It was such a wonderful time. We saw we're reaching out to other people in our community, in our schools, building relationships in our community. And the one problem that church that I had, and this is, this is more of a problem than you think, the coffee was horrible. I mean, it was bad. And I actually set out one day to find out why. And it wasn't the coffee they bought. It wasn't the coffee maker. It was actually the water uh, in that church. So I like coffee. And I remember once going down to Tim Hortons to get my coffee and, uh, you know, and the manager, he really liked our church because some of our young people worked for him. In fact, one was his assistant manager and he really appreciated their integrity and their character. Though he wasn't a believer, he saw the value of these people coming from our church. And I was telling him, you know, I come because our coffee is horrible. I I can't drink it. and I love coffee. And he said, you know what? I'm going to donate our Tim Hortons coffee to you every Sunday. I went, what? Yeah, I'm going to donate the coffee, the cups, the sugar, everything. You just show up, pick it up, and it's yours. And I thought, this is amazing. This is an answer to prayer. And so we got to advertise the, we have Tim Horton's coffee when it was good. And people would come, and we had this young guy who just was a new Christian would take over this coffee ministry. And I'm going, this is so wonderful. People are, are bringing coffee in the church, and people are getting up. to go, well, get their coffee. But that's okay. These are new believers. They're learning and saying, at least, you know, if Mark's not on his game today, I'm going to have good coffee. But again, some of the people who have been there for a while started complaining about the Tim Hortons coffee. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because the other coffee's horrible. And this is so much better. Why were they complaining to the point where they asked for it to stop? Free coffee to stop. And so it did. Down to my next church, or another church, that, again, had gone through very tough times and struggles and... Um, Lost a lot of people, and we went in, and with God's help again, we lifted Jesus up, and He drew people onto us, and it was so exciting to watch the growth. And I talk about growth because it 's people who are hungry for God. I mean imagine your grandchild that doesn 't know the Lord, wanting to come and know about God or your son or your daughter or your friend. It was like that people and this kept coming and, and coming, and I remember standing there at the front and, and watching the the ushers having to get out chairs every Sunday to fill up the back foyer because there was not enough room in the end. And our ushers were saying, our greeters were saying, we got to do something about our parking lot. We're watching people come in, circling, and can't find a place to park and leaving. So we can't do that. And so we felt we got to make some quick adjustments, so we decided to go to uh, two services and and add another service, which I thought was a great thing because we were growing. And, I mean, people were, I'm not kidding you, every week new people were there. But some people, again, um, didn't like that change and um, spoke very much against it and, Eventually, the church, um, after I left, to go back to one service. In each one of these cases, a change was introduced as the church grew. And in each case, there was a group of people who struggled adjusting to that change. And what took me many years to learn was the problem the problem wasn't the welcome mat or the Tim Hortons coffee or the added service these were just symptoms of a deeper problem all these things represented the fact that new people were coming and it meant their church was changing and they're trouble adjusting to that And eventually I came to learn and I needed to, I needed to take ownership of this problem as a pastor because, and I actually wrote down one day my notes, thinking about this and going back and visiting, um, you know, what, where have I failed? And I wrote this down. What I failed to do was to bring the people along spiritually so that they would be ready to accommodate growth. And I realized that we were growing beyond our capacity to welcome, serve and minister to others. It wasn't enough to lead a church to be successful in reaching people and people wanting to come out to the church as a pastor I needed to provide the means for people in the church to grow spiritually to the point where they would be ready to welcome the great commission being fulfilled. I learned that just because someone had been attending church did not mean that they were in that spiritual place. I made a mistake in assuming everyone was ready and would rejoice when those who were hungry for God would come seeking Him at their church. And I'm sure on paper, many people would tell you that, yeah, we want to see our church to grow. And we want that until it actually happens. I said I didn't learn that principle in school, but I really lied because there was one unofficial lecture of this wise old pastor, I don't even remember his name. He was well known, though, and he came to our graduating, uh, our, at least to one of our classes, just where some of us students were ready to graduate and go out and interview uh, in our for in our churches for the first time. And he looked at us, young bucks, you know, after you know four or five years of schooling, ready to take on the world with all our knowledge. And he gave us some advice from his years of experience. He looked at us and he said, "When you go out and interview at a church." When you interview at a church and the church tells you they want to grow, don't put a lot of stock in that. And he wasn't being nasty. He was being very sincere. He said, every church says they want to grow. What you need to know is this. Are they willing to sacrifice? Are they prepared and willing to pay the cost, whatever the Lord would have for them, to fulfill that great commission? and grow and have people come and be part of their church. And he was right. I didn't think he was, but he was right. I've been sharing with you these past few weeks some of the prayer points that Pastor Ray Dirksen, the leader of Church Renewal, has put together for pastors who want renewal in their church, um, to see renewal in their own life first and then in their church. And i just quickly review the ones I've shared with you so far. We talked about dissatisfaction because you want renewal in your life. You want renewal in your church. And it's a holy dissatisfaction where you want the things to go. You want to go deeper and further and see God bring about needed change in your life and in the life of others in your ministry. And then following up on that was desperate prayer because you go to God in prayer. You want renewal and you will not let go until you receive renewal from God. You're desperate in your prayers with him. And then the third one was humility, because now, you know, once you do that, you're ready to receive direction. You're prepared to be like clay in the potter's hands, because pride leads to disgrace, but humility with humility comes wisdom, the Bible says. And so you're humble before the Lord, ready to receive his direction. And then last week we mentioned, next is hearing God. You're praying to hear from God. You want to grow in hearing his voice. With, like, Why humble yourself and be ready to listen to him, if you don't listen to him. I mean, why say, God, this is what I want, but you don't stay before him and listen to what he has to say. And we talked about that last week. The eighth point in this 11th point prayer list for renewal is this, self-sacrifice. We're praying. It's the willingness to pay whatever the cost the Lord has for you to see his church renewed. And I've been having the, pat- the pastors I coach pray over these 11 points, and I asked them, which one has really stood out to you? Which, where is the challenge? Where is God meeting you? And they, most of them said this one. Knowing I want this, knowing we need this, but then praying and asking, am I willing to pay the cost? Pastor Ray, just like that old wise pastor who spoke to us graduating students on the final days of school, knows this, That we can say we want God's will to be done. And we want to see people come to him. But we first need to be willing to pay the personal cost of what's required of us. And there will be a cost. There will be a cost. So we might get angry at the welcome mat. Complaining about the Tim Hortons coffee or the logistics of doing a second service. But there's symptoms of something deeper, which is at work in our life. And I think we're embarrassed to admit it, but the fact is I just don't like what growth is personally costing me. When we see the crowds, we don't like the mess they bring. And church gets messy. When we see the crowds, we don't like the changes they bring. When we see the crowds, we don't like how we feel like we're losing our church, our grip in our church that we had. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. It says in Matthew 9.35. And I realize how we've been missing a big part of what is needed in a church if that church is going to grow and reach people and fulfill the Great Commission. We need to be more like Jesus and less like us. We get upset at the people. Jesus had compassion on the people. And How we need to grow and become more like him and see them as helpless, confused, and say, I'm glad you're here. Sure, you'll have to change some things. But I'm glad you're here. This is what I learned. If a church is going to be effective in God's kingdom work, spiritual growth needs to precede numerical growth. Spiritual growth has got to come first. If you experience the numerical growth without focusing on the spiritual growth of the people, all, all the what numerical growth is going to do is just highlight the fact that your people aren't spiritually where they need to be. It comes out. That's what I learned, and I take responsibility for that. So this is why I've been encouraging us all this time to become part of a life group. And this is why our life groups are doing the way. Jesus is the way. He is the path, the road. Each one of us must find and walk if we're going to be effective and fruitful and finish this life well if this church is going to finish ministry well. One Sunday, sermon, uh, one Sunday uh, sermon a week is not enough for us to grow to the level of maturity that, that I need to, to have and what you need to have to be more like Jesus. It has to be a daily relationship, a daily learning and abiding in him. When we abide in Christ, he abides in us and he changes us. He says to us, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me or those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Well, that's what I want. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Not some things or many things. You can do nothing. So why would we not want to abide in Jesus? So that he may abide in us if we truly want to grow and be productive and fruitful in our lives and in the ministry of our church. The lessons in the way help us to know Jesus more intimately and to hear from him better, and as we abide in him, our hearts better reflect his heart, our character reflects his character, his ways become our ways where we can look at people and not see them as a threat to our way of life, but we look at them with compassion for they are in desperate need of a shepherd, just as we are. Someone was just sharing with me recently about a semi-annual kind of family reunion or get-together they have, and, and you know, the, there's this inner core of the family who have been doing these reunions for years. And they're not really always welcoming to those who are new and come from the outside and join the family. They, they do not have the compassion for the new people who are saying, here I am, I'm part of your family now. They had their ways of doing things, and if anybody came in and tried to change anything, they shunned them and pushed them away. We read that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then the Bible says to us in the next couple of verses, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, right? But the workers are few. That, we're, we're, that's, we're trying to change that. The harvest is plentiful. There are many people who need a shepherd, who need the Lord, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field we cannot afford to be a family reunion that does not allow and accept and welcome new members our church cannot become like a clubhouse it needs to be a mission field ready to be harvested We cannot lose sight of what Jesus calls us to do. We cannot afford to become like this famous story of a life-saving station on the coast of Massachusetts as we see in this video.
0: On a dangerous sea coast, notorious for shipwrecks, there was a crude little life-saving station. Actually, it was merely a hut with only one boat, but the few members kept a constant watch over the turbulent sea. With little thought for themselves they would go out day and night tirelessly searching for those in danger as well as the lost many lives were saved by this brave band who faithfully worked as a team in and out of the life-saving station by and by it became a famous place some of those who had been saved as well as others along the sea coast wanted to become associated with this little station they were willing to give their time energy and money in support of its objectives New boats were purchased, new crews were trained. The station, once obscure and crude and virtually insignificant, began to grow. Some of its members were unhappy the hut was so unattractive and poorly equipped. They felt a more comfortable place should be provided. Emergency cots were replaced with lovely furniture. Rough, handmade equipment was discarded, and sophisticated, classy systems were installed. The huts, of course, had to be torn down to make room for all the additional equipment, furniture and systems. By the time of its completion, the life-saving station had become a popular gathering place and its objectives had begun to shift. It was now used as a sort of clubhouse, an attractive building for public gathering. Saving lives, feeding the hungry, strengthening the fearful and calming the disturbed rarely occurred. Fewer members were interested in braving the sea on life-saving missions, so they hired professional lifeboat crews to do this work. The original goal of the station wasn't altogether forgotten, however. Life-saving motifs still prevailed in the club's decorations. There was a liturgical lifeboat preserved in the room of sweet memories with soft indirect lighting which helped hide the layer of dust upon the once-used vessel. About this time, a large ship was wrecked off the coast and the boat crews brought in loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, some terribly sick and lonely, others were different from the majority of the club members. The beautiful new club suddenly became messy and cluttered. A special committee saw to it that a shower house was immediately built outside, away from the club, so victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting there were strong words and angry feelings which resulted in a division among the members. Most of the people wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities and all involvements with shipwreck victims. As you'd expect, some still insisted on saving lives, that this was their primary objective, that their only reason for existence was ministering to anyone needing help regardless of their club's beauty or size or decorations. They were voted down and told if they wanted to save the lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast they did. As the years passed, the new station experienced the same old changes. It evolved into another club, and yet another life-saving station was begun. History repeated itself, and if you visit that coast today, you'll find a large number of exclusive, impressive clubs along the shoreline, owned and operated by slick professionals who have lost all involvement with the saving of lives. Shipwrecks still occur in those waters, but now most of the victims are not saved. Every day they drown at sea, and so few others seem to care, so very few.
1: So I came to this message because of good things that's been happening um, in our church. Things I didn't expect or know, but God has blessed us I sent the report into our district this week. And I was able to say that attendance in our church from almost a year ago last March to today, to now, has grown by about 206%. We more than doubled. If you include all the YouTube hits and podcasts that we're doing because of this time of COVID, which has been a blessing really to us in many ways. Our Sunday morning or our people listening to our services has increased by 566%. If you told me that would happen a year ago, I would have went, life groups. Uh, We've been showing you and and, and from our people in our church, like the importance of life groups. And um, they are a part of us growing spiritually to become mature. And as Eduardo said, to reflect the character of Christ and to become a family and a community that's not just inward-looking, but outward-looking. In fact, one of our life groups this week invited a new person to join them who really needs to um, hear about how much God loves them. One of our life groups um, this week, I heard one of the people were going through a very rough time, going through a very rough time, and, and that life group has walked with this person um, down this road as a, as a faith community together, vowed and pledged they were going to pray for them every morning, and they sent them flowers, and they are truly they truly have that person's back. That's pastoral care that's done in life groups. And our, my life group, what, what do with the men, um, we were talking and, and one of the men was suggesting, you know, like talk about the message last Sunday and how we have these 15 minutes that we're supposed to listen to God, not just pray and get up and leave, but he says, why don't we do that now? Right in this life group, let's spend 15 minutes. So I read a scripture and we spent 15 minutes listening to God. And one of our fellows is a paramedic, and he was in his uh, work at work in his ambulance. I'm um, praying to God as people walk around him, and we came back and we got to share. This is what God is saying to me. This is what I'm hearing from Him. That's spiritual growth. In fact, one of the gentlemen said, "Can we do this every week now?" That is spiritual growth. It's wanting to hear from God. It's wanting to love on others and help them. It's wanting to invite new people in so they too can know the truth and the hope and the life of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, I'm thrilled that we're growing. I'm thrilled that a number of us have, are sacrificing the time and the energy to spend in our life groups to to grow, and I believe God will bless that, and we will be prepared to see these harvest field coming in, continuing to come in, even when we meet back in the building. I'm excited for those days. So we're not gonna take 15 minutes, but let's take two minutes and just spend these two minutes and say, God, is there anything you want me to know about today? He can. He can do that in two minutes. Maybe he's already been talking to you, about something in your life. And ask God, what, what do you want me to do about this? What would you have me to do? So let's spend those two minutes. I'm going to pray for you first. God, thank you that you love us enough that you do speak into our lives. And many times it's encouragement. I thank you for that. Many times it's correction. And I said as a sharing today, thank you for that. It helps us to be more productive and fruitful. We learn. And God, I'm thankful you can take the rest of our life and make it a beautiful thing regardless of what we've done in our past. Thank you for that hope and that truth. And I pray now, Lord, you just would speak in the lives of these wonderful people listening today for what you would have them to know regarding their life on the road through 2021. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.